This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Thursday, September the 1st, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go! up on the show today, Veronique Church Duplessis discusses the benefits of mentorship for young people with disabilities in their career development. Mohawk Co- College canceled their accessible media program earlier this summer. There's been some criticism behind this decision. Karen McGee will share some of it. The toy industry is on a billion dollar quest to develop a new classic toy. Don Dickinson will fill you in on the details in her preview of Voices of the Walrus. Sean Priest of Double Tap Canada looks ahead to Apple's upcoming event in September. We'll see what kind of reckless speculation we can do with Sean Priest. Those are my favorite segments. And Amy Amanti reviews the Netflix film Day Shift, starring Jamie Foxx. That's my guy right there. Looking forward to hearing what Amy has to say about that. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. And we are beginning in the world of federal politics, where Elizabeth May has launched her bid to reclaim the leadership of the federal Green Party. Nicole Reese has the story. May, who has quit as leader of the Greens in 2019, is running on a joint ticket with Jonathan Pednault, an expert on crisis situations who has investigated abuses in war zones, including Afghanistan. Launching their campaign in Sydney, B.C., both promised to get co-leadership enshrined in the party's constitution. May, one of two Green MPs sitting in the House of Commons, says she bears some responsibility for the party's disarray. Nicole Reese, the Canadian Press. And we'll talk about that some more during the news panel tomorrow with Joey DeGupta and Michelle McQuig. In fact, I think it's going to lead the news panel tomorrow for that conversation. So stay tuned for that one around 9.15 a.m. Eastern time on Friday. It's a great way to wrap up your week. Another story to share with you. A union representing 911 dispatchers in British Columbia say staffing shortages have forced call takers to work well beyond their normal hours, which it believes is unsustainable. Union President Donald Grant is calling on levels of government and Ecom 911 to work together to solve the issue. It's going to take provincial, regional and municipal governments to come together in order to solve the, the, the funding crisis at Ecom. Then on top of that, management needs to take urgent and decisive action in order to stop the levels of attrition that we're seeing so that we're able to increase the staffing levels. And BC's Ministry of Public Safety says it will work with Ecom to find a solution. Ontario's top doctor says people who test positive for COVID-19 no longer have to isolate for five days. Dr. Kieran Moore says they should stay home until their fever clears and their symptoms have improved for at least 24 hours or 48 hours after gastronomical symptoms have improved. After a period of isolating at home, you should wear a mask when out in public and keep masking until 10 days have passed from the onset of your symptoms. If you've been sick, you should avoid any non-essential visits to vulnerable or older people for a full 10 days, counting day one as the day after symptoms start. Moore says this is part of an overall strategy to fight respiratory illness. Speaking of COVID, Federal Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos is expected to make an announcement today about new boosters seeking Health Canada approval that more directly target Omicron variants. If that press conference happens during the show, we'll share the news with you. If not, we'll talk about it tomorrow. 
Looking at the national COVID-19 numbers, there are currently 4,946 people in hospital with COVID. That's a slight drop day over day and week over week. Yesterday, I shared a whole bunch of news from for you about uh, provincial surpluses on the budget. Well, Alberta's also in that mix. Alberta's finance minister says the government will see this year's multi-billion dollar budget surplus, pay down debt, and they're also going to put some cash in reserve. Jason Nixon says the surplus has grown exponentially. We are now projecting a surplus of $13.2 billion, an improvement of $12.6 billion. This is still a projection, and I repeat, Alberta's government remains focused on reducing debt, and saving for the future. Alberta's government is staying the course on sound fiscal management to strengthen the province's finances. Alberta's surplus has been driven by higher energy prices along with higher royalty payments for maturing oil sands projects. The Manitoba government is offering money to some families and low-income seniors to offset cost-of-living surges. Premier Heather Stevenson says it's important to provide immediate benefits to help with the burden of rising costs. Families with children and a household income of less than $175,000 will receive checks of $250 for the first child and additional $200 for each additional child. While Manitoba families are resilient, this economic rough patch has created the perfect storm with unprecedented cost increases hitting us everywhere we turn. Seniors with less than $40,000 in family income will get a benefit check of $300. So that was a little bit of doom and gloom for you there. But how about we end this newscast looking once again to the skies, to the cosmos, to the outer reaches of our own gravity elsewhere in the solar system. I'm a poet. A University of Calgary scientist is hoping his three-year study will be able to determine whether the planet Mars was ever capable of supporting life. Ben Tutillo is using data from the Curiosity rover. He explains how the rover collects the data. The Curiosity rover, which has been on the surface of Mars for about a decade, actually has a roving geochemical laboratory on it. So it's scooping up or drilling samples so that it can analyze in situ sort of like a roving geologist who would also have a geochemical laboratory in the field. So sort of things that we don't necessarily get here on Earth. I think he did that interview from the Mars rover. Totillo says the degradation of rocks on the planet makes this a very difficult process. There have been numerous um, analyses that have indicated significant amounts of organic molecules in the rocks, but they're all degraded in some ways. They've all been transformed by the geological processes working over geologic time in the crater. So I think as much as we'd love to, there will be no smoking gun. Uh, I like sharing stories with you about space. Last week we talked about the sound from the black hole. We've been talking about NASA's moon launch, a little Mars exploration. We've talked about the James Webb telescope going to the far reaches of the universe. Space, baby. We're just a little rock floating in space, surrounded by so much more. Today's daily polls. Well, let's get to the daily polls. We'll talk about today's in a second. But first, I have to give you yesterday's daily poll, where we asked you, do you find yourself buying more generic brands to save money? 75% of you said yes, and 25% of you said no. We had a Twitter response from Studio Brock who writes in, I never buy based on brand, nor corporate loyalty here. Whoever gives me what I want for the best price gets my beaver bucks. Therefore, I'm not buying more generic stuff as I've always bought lots of it. And we also had a writer on Facebook write in. It was Greg. He says, I prefer generic brands of sparkling water. They have more interesting flavors. It's a good point. Sometimes you go to the generic aisle and there's all kinds of neat stuff. 
All right, let's talk about today's daily poll. But just before I do, allow me to do a teensy bit of bureaucracy to explain where you can vote. As I told you yesterday on the show, we are no longer broadcasting live on AMI-audio. You can still find us as a podcast through the AMI-audio Mighty Podcast Network. But live, we're only broadcasting on TV, on accessible media TV, AMI-TV, which means where you vote on our Twitter poll is going to change. So you have to follow another Twitter account. In fact, I bet you already do. You're a fan of AMI. You're already following our stuff. At Accessible Media Inc. on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. on Twitter. Just like I'm always telling you to follow us on Facebook. At Accessible Media Inc. This may actually save me some words. I may stop stumbling over myself all the time. At Accessible Media Inc. That's where you want to follow us on Twitter. That's where you can vote on the polls. Today's question. And we'll talk a little bit about this later in the show with a guest that Mike Ross arranged for us. Have you had a mentor in your life or career? Have you had a mentor in your life or career? Yes or no? And this also gives me an opportunity to heap a little bit of praise on someone who's uh, been a big mentor for me over the course of the last six years of my career. I want to give uh, some special love and a special shout out to Andy Frank, who is the manager of AMI-audio and up until yesterday was my boss person I reported to. Andy has been a tremendous confidant for me since we first crossed paths in 2016 over a drink and a burger at a bar in Ottawa, talking about career, talking about life, talking about how to make ourselves better as broadcasters and programmers and how to be better as humans. Andy has been a huge mentor for me as I was bouncing around somewhat directionlessly in my career in 2016. Oh, sure, I was working on some documentaries and features, but I had not quite figured out my place inside this company just yet. And Andy was someone who took me under my wing and empowered me to be me as the broadcaster that I wanted to be. And I can't tell you how much I've cherished the last five years working so closely with Andy as a direct report. And he's someone who has meant a lot to me in my career, gave me a huge revitalization in my career. So I wanted to give a little bit of a shout out and a little bit of love to Andy Frank. Let's head over to Eliza Rocco. Eliza, how about you in your life and career? Have you ever had a mentor? Oh, yeah. I have uh, had the immense pleasure of having several Several wonderful women mentor me over the course of, uh, I mean, not my very long career yet, but over the course of my short career. Uh, One in particular, she started off as a professor at Toronto Met for me. Um, She really guided me. She gave me my first job with her working on some research projects and then got me my first job in the industry. I truly would not be where I am now without her. That's lovely. Yeah, mentors mentors mean a lot, and they can certainly help us get our foot, get our feet wet, and then go from there. Let's bring in Mike Ross on this one. Mike, what about you? In your life or career, have you had yourself a mentor? Um, I think one of the bigger ones is a voice that to AMI uh, viewers and listeners will know, and that's Jim Van Horn. Mm. Uh, back in 2001, when I moved from Ottawa to Toronto, um, you know, my wife and I found ourselves in the in the big city, and you know, didn't really know anybody here. Um, I was embarking on a national producing job, um, so you know, it, it was a pretty stressful time. 
and I was Jim's producer in uh, sports radio. And Jim was, and I've, I, I have no problem sharing this because I've told Jim this. Um, he wasn't just a colleague and a mentor. He was like a father figure for me. Like he really, you talk about having someone take you under their wing. That was Jim Van Horn for me. And we, we worked again together uh, at uh, Sportsnet. And then again at AMI. So uh, we've we've sort of been following each other along over the last 20 years. And I've been so blessed to have Jim in my life because of his advice, uh, both in on the job working in sports broadcasting. But when it, both times that I've lost a job, he was the first person I talked to. Mm. He's the first person who talked sort of walked me through it. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be absolutely lost uh, many times if Jim Van Horn wasn't around for me. Yeah, tremendous guy. I've had, I've had a chance to interact with him yeah. a few times and work with him a few times over the years as well. Just a great, great guy. Mike, thank you for this. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour for the big business story of the day. Sounds good. So, of course, I got so excited when I thought, oh, it's going to be so easy for me to give branding advice on where people can go on social media to vote. I can just say one word from this point forward and immediately the group chat popped up to correct me and say, Dave, you have to use your bad eyes and read this big fonted script properly. I told you Accessible Media Inc. on Twitter for our AMI corporate account. Oh boy, oh boy, this is why you can't trust a legally blind guy to read appropriate branding on the first day of a switcheroo at Accessible Media on Twitter is where you find us on Twitter and it's at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. So not uh, not the sharpest knife in the drawer when you give me the old switcheroo, but I can thank uh, Daniel Penamondo for mentoring me via the group chat at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. So, oh no, d- yeah, on, on Facebook and then at Accessible Media on Twitter. Let's see how many times I mess that up. We almost need a, a swear jar in here for me. Not that I'm actually going to swear, but every time I mess up the branding over the course of the next couple of days, I'll have to put a couple bucks into the old jar and then we'll uh, give it to a charity at the end of the month. Let's go back to Eliza Rocco who has the national weather update. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. In St. John's, Newfoundland, it's clearing this morning with a high of 24 degrees. And in Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's also clearing this morning with another high of 24 degrees. And in Montreal, there's a few showers ending earlier early this morning, and then a mix of sun and cloud for the rest of the day. The high is 18 degrees. In Ottawa, there's a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers early this morning, a high of 20 degrees. And in Toronto, there's a mix of sun and cloud, becoming sunny this morning with a high of 25. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's clearing this morning with a high of 29. And in Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny with a high of 32. In Saskatoon, it's sunny with a high of 30 degrees. And in Calgary, it's mainly sunny with a high of 28 with a heat warning in effect. And in Edmonton, Alberta, it is also mainly sunny with another heat warning in effect and a high of 23 degrees. 
In Yellowknife, it's a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 14 degrees. And in Vancouver, it's sunny with a high of 25 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, it is also sunny with a high of 23 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Eliza. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the show. We've got a follow-up on the Avril Levine story that you shared with us yesterday. But coming up next, Mohawk College has cancelled their accessible media program earlier this summer. Karen McGee will share some of the criticism that has followed that decision. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's welcome back into the show our friend and content development specialist, Karen McGee, for the Central Regional Report. Karen could be in Ottawa. She could be in Morrisburg. No one knows. Morrisburg. Uh, Back viewing the St. Lawrence River. What's the river looking like these days? It looks cold this morning. It's chilly. (laughs) We'll take that. We'll take that. Hey, Karen, earlier this summer, Mohawk College in Hamilton, Ontario, announced they would not be continuing with their accessible media program, a program that had received quite a bit of praise over the course of the last few years. What was the reason behind the program being cancelled? So according to a statement on the Mohawk College website, the program was canceled due to low enrollment. Um, only 41 students have graduated from the program since it launched in 2017. So it wasn't really meeting the targets the college had set. Um, it was the only program of its kind in Canada. I think we've talked about it on the show before. Oh, we sure students have. Learned, yeah, I mean, it was great. Students learned to write an in inclusive plain language. They learned how to create accessible documents, closed captioning audio description for video, and lots of other skills about making so media accessible for everybody. Um, an example, a final project would be they'd work with a small business or an organization to be help them become more accessible. So they, they, it was a really um, hands-on learning environment. Um, while the enrollment may not have been up to the standards of college, the employment rate for graduates was 91%. That seems pretty good to me. I'm not um, an expert on this, but 91%, I would be happy with 91 Um really indicates a need for these skills in the workforce. They are continuing a smaller, more flexible, sort of one of those micro-credential programs that they have. You know, you can go, you know, learn sort of on your own time. Um, That has graduated 50 people in the last 18 months. It only has a 70% employment rate, though. It's really not the same as a full program. You don't sort of get all the same skills and a lot of sort of the hands-on learning. Yeah, the caliber of a lot of the graduates of that program, I've worked with a few of them, has been outstanding. Excellent, excellent work. There was excellent training going on there, which means because the work was so good, there has been criticism. So what kind of criticism has been uh, following this decision? Well, um, groups like the National Institute, CNIB, the National Institute for Blind, the Broadcasting Accessibility Fund, which actually funded the course, funded a course there, and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians all expressed their disappointment in the decision. A friend of the show, David Lepofsky, has been particularly vocal about it on social media, even talking about it last week, which has kind of triggered me to talk about it because I realized I hadn't talked about it when it actually happened. Um, So just an FYI, according to the Hamilton Spectator, Mohawk canceled 10 years ago. They used to have a program that trained orientation and mobility instructors. And most people know those are people who help the blind and people with vision loss get around, 
safely, with, which resulted in a real shortage of instructors when they canceled this program, um, longer wait times and shorter amounts of service. So this is not the first time they've canceled a program sort of in this area, which doesn't speak well. And there's a lot of upset people on social media. Yeah. Karen, let's switch gears here to a story that I covered earlier this week in the Accessibility Story Roundup. A teacher in Cornwall has been giving courses on autism awareness to firefighters. So tell me a little bit about some of the takeaways you had from learning about this story. How dare you talk about something from my region, Dave? I know, I know. How dare I? I'm just kidding. Are you okay? You'll get over it? Um, So Jen Fullerton um, has provided autism awareness training for years throughout the region, um, especially to first responders. And the reason behind this is her daughter, Carly, doesn't experience heat sensitivity. Carly has autism. So she may not come out of her room in a fire because she doesn't recognize there's danger. Firefighters might not always recognize that the reason somebody's not doing something is because of autism. So according to the standard freeholder, um, which is the Cornwall newspaper, Jen got certified in first responder autism training, which that is amazing that that's a thing. She was taught by Justin Lewis, a firefighter in Arizona, who created a program called Firefighters versus Autism. Some of the things Jen talks about is that some people with autism don't always understand danger. They may be prone to wandering towards bodies of water or towards traffic, and they may be really overwhelmed by the presence of firefighters and not respond to their instructions like stop. And sometimes that natural instinct that we all have, that fight or flight instinct will kick in and they won't know to what, what the right thing to do is. They may hide in closets when danger is around and may not respond when called. It's also really important to remember that this applies to adults, not just children. Yeah, it, it certainly it, it crosses the spectrum through and through. I thought what was interesting as I was going through some of the reading on this is that a person with a disability is seven times more likely to encounter a first responder during the course of their life than somebody else who does not have a disability, which is uh, a jarring, jarring number when you consider the interactions that may be had and if the sensitivity is not known or how to deal with disability is not known by a first responder, the situation can be really bad, whether it's a firefighter, a cop, an EMT, et cetera. So that was something that jumped out to me. But Karen, the other thing that jumped out to me was at the bottom of this story that the fire department in Cornwall is taking this very seriously and asking people if they want to, to come have their family members do meet and greets at the fire station and also do a little bit of an assessment on what maybe their needs might be. I I saw that. I think that's a great idea. That number jumped off the page at me as well, Dave. That 7% really seems large. Um, the, the reason that they want the families to come and have that conversation with them is that no two people with autism are like, no two people, no two people anywhere are like. So the firefighters learned from this course that the people they really want to talk to is the caregiver, whether it's the parent or an adult sibling who is caring for this, for the person with autism or disability and what might be best. So they get to know the people, they get to know the community. Cornwall's a really small community. So you're able to do that. Um, Jen's actually taking the course to Ottawa in the next few months too, to teach some of the firefighters there. And I'm sure the firefighters in Ottawa, as we've had experiences with them, Dave, they'll, they'll open their doors as well and say, come on by most firefighting stations. You can sort of stop by and say, hi, you know, what, who doesn't like to look at fire trucks or firefighters? <laughs> I'll throw that out there at 930 in the morning. All right. There's some good objectification as we say goodbye to Karen McGee on our way out the door. Sorry, you're right. I apologize. Karen, I heard that you're not part of the news quiz next week. I heard that you're taking a week off. Um, I'm taking a couple days off. Um, is a side story. My in-laws passed away during COVID, so we're going to scatter their ashes on their former family oh, cottage. Oh, Karen, I'm sorry about that. No, and I'm actually, s- actually, it's not. No, it's not sad. It's it's lovely. Like, wouldn't you want to be spend the rest of your life 
your eternity at a place that would meant more to you than anything else? That's well put. I was going to make a snarky yeah. remark, but then you hit me with positive you? emotion. No. So I would Look just... It, after- we'll- <laughs> Karen, after all your praise for Andy Frank, I'm still hurt. You know, okay. uh, well, you know, your your <laughs> uh, your mentorship with me is a little bit different, but but you know, I, I I can give you love too. But the fact is, but but the fact is, uh, I already give you love on the air all the time, so we got to go. All Karen, the time. Thank you for this. Anytime, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. That's Karen McGee, a content development specialist for AMI. Coming up next, the toy industry is on the hunt—a billion-dollar quest to develop. A new classic toy. Don Dickinson will fill you in with a preview of Voices of the Walrus. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index ended August with a fourth straight trading day of losses. Investor sentiment still soured by Friday's speech by the U.S. Fed chair that interest rates will need to keep rising and will stay high for longer than many investors had hoped. Toronto's TSX index lost 182 points to close at 19,330. New York's Dow Jones dropped 280 points and the Nasdaq gave back 66. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index tumbled 430 points and and our dollar is trading overseas this morning, lower at 75.90 cents U.S. Imperial Oil and ExxonMobil Canada have closed the $1.9 billion sale of their oil and gas producing assets in the Montney and Duvernay areas of Alberta to Whitecap Resources. The two companies each owned half of XTO Energy Canada, which held the assets. Imperial itself is majority owned by ExxonMobil. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Just because we don't broadcast live on AMI-audio anymore doesn't mean we don't have love for the incredible reading programs that hit those airwaves. For example, Voices of the Walrus, which you can hear Sundays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. You're used to Don Dickinson previewing The Guardian this week. Well, little did you know, Don Dickinson is the producer of Voices of the Walrus as well, and is here to preview a couple of the articles. Hey, good morning, Don. Oh, do we have intro? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we got to we got to be honest with the people. We got to be authentic. You know, just because we're not live on AMI Audio doesn't mean we don't have love for our for our brother and sister station over there. We're siblings here. Well, hopefully, yes. (laughs) Also, not to mention because we still podcast. That's under the mighty umbrella of the AMI Audio Podcast Network. So you know, we're 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 still integrated, somewhat somewhat speaking. The the same mothership, right? We're all we're all pulling the rope in the same direction, Don. We're all pulling the Mm -hmm. rope in the same direction. Let's jump into the first article that you have here, called "No Room at the Top" by Angela Misri. According to the article, women are more likely to hold interim leadership roles in federal politics, but getting to the top remains a problem. So, Don, we're starting with you with an easy question today: Why are there still so few women? leaders in Canadian politics? Well, the article goes into, you know, the relationship between, as I say, the interim, le- uh, interim leader and the, and the actual eventual leader of the party. And it states that the interim leaders hold a strange position in politics because, 
you know, they're advancing to one of the highest uh, offices, but it's really at a cost because the role has a built-in expiration date. And I did not know this. Leaders are generally generally not allowed to um, run in the following race due to an unfair advantage that they have. Few interim leaders end up making it to the top or the, you know, the lead spot in the party. And as history has shown, the temporary leadership role is as high as most women make it. Mm. Now, when they asked various people uh, about this, they said that there are many theories why women are struggling to secure leadership positions. Uh, Melanie Thompson, a political scientist at the University of Calgary, rejects the commonly argued excuses that women have lower profiles or that they lack certain qualifications. And she cites various um, people, including uh, uh, Lisa Raitt, who was incredibly qualified for the job. Uh, she had, uh, this is the job that eventually went to Andrew Scheer. Uh, she had experience in three cabinet positions mm -hmm. in, and she could also uh, appeal broadly to many, many voters outside of the party's base. Um, but after seven rounds of ballots, Raitt never got past 4% of the vote. And that was just that blew me away. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to look far, Don. I mean, even even more recently in that party, we had Rana Ambrose. Uh, yeah. Uh, follow up, follow up for Aaron. Uh, the, not for Aaron O'Toole. He she followed up for Andrew Shear before Aaron O'Toole uh, took that yeah. position. So we don't need to look far. I mean, even just we led the show today with uh, with the story, but uh, Elizabeth May re returning to run for the helm of the Green right. Party, right? So it, it, it does speak to the way in which that federal politics certainly illustrates this. I off the top. Top of my head, I can't think of that many uh, women who've held those roles in a in a significant, long-standing position, other than say maybe Alexa McDonough. Yeah. Uh, the Conservatives, through many of their name changes, have had 22 different leaders, according to the, the Library of uh, Parliament's political parties, of which one, Kim Campbell, was a woman, and seven interim leaders, three of whom were women. Mm. The NDP has had eight leaders, two of whom were women, and one interim leader. And then the Liberals, for all their uh, talk of political gender parity, have had 13 leaders and four interim leaders over nearly 150 years. Wow. And none of them were women. Wow. Well, Don, so we're, going, go. we're going to be talking on the news panel tomorrow more about this Elizabeth May news. So how about we leave this story for now and move on to something a little bit more fun. The toy industry's <laughs> billion dollar quest. Survival of the funnest by Matthew Braga is the article. Don, what are we talking about in regards to uh, the boost the pandemic has given certain kinds of toys? Well, you know, this happened in our family, and uh, I guess it happened generally across the country. Very early on in the pandemic, when everybody was spending more time at home, parents said, you know, I don't want my kids on screens constantly. I don't want them inside constantly doing you know, digital stuff and staring at, at, at screens. And they said, let's go back to old time stuff when it comes to games. And so there was a big increase in what's called uh, the activities segment of the industry. Things like puzzles and plush and building toys and games in general. Games yeah. were, of course, Board absolutely games, yeah. huge, huge. So basically, yeah, the parents went back to their childhoods and they got out or went out and bought uh, Monopoly and Pictionary and Uno. 
one called Uno. I don't know that game. It's a, car- you know it's that a game, card. Game? It's a card game. Uh, if you asked me to explain how to play it, I would not be able to help you. But I, it's a card game. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I didn't know that one. So yeah, they it, they really decided that that's that's the way it was going to be, and there was astronomical increases in sales. It's it's interesting, Don, that we're talking about nostalgia here, though, because this is probably stuff the parents like to play with versus what their kids might to play like might might like to play with. Yes, exactly, Dave. So parents were often um, uh, choosing those types of games because it was a nostalgic element of their childhood. They wanted to share something from their own, um, you know, youth, or they wanted to give their um, uh, children something that they maybe lacked in their particular youth, you know. Um, Especially now, it says in the article, in a digital world, there is something about analog toys. Parents parents see them as desirable. In fact, when Fisher-Price, I love this story, (laughs) when Fisher-Price tried to modernize its iconic toy phone. Okay, you remember that old one I with do. the I do. rotary and yep. everything like that, you know? So uh, by removing the rotary dial, there was an absolute consumer revolt and sales fell drastically. <laughs> so they had to bring back that that rotary phone. I thought that was great because here's a kid. I mean, if, imagine that, Dave. Here's a kid and the only thing they've ever seen is a cell phone, yeah. but their toy is a rotary phone. We're giving them uh, false expectations for what what later in life is going to be if they're only playing with rotary phones. Uh, Don, <laughs> I, I, I think we don't necessarily want to spoil all the secret sauce here because, of course, part of this article is about the billion-dollar quest and sort of finding yes. the new toy. But you know what? Yes. Let's encourage people to actually listen to the show to actually find yeah. out about the quest side of this. But I want to yes. end on a fun question for you. Do you remember what you loved to play with as a kid? Oh, yeah. I, th- You know, Dave, I think that question is, I think everybody remembers because that is such a, an interesting time in your life, you know, when you are actually in control. That's what they say. You know, psychologists say that kids are never in control. They're always being told what to eat and what to wear and what to do and everything. But when they play, they're in control. And so, those toys mean the world to them, you know, be it Meccano or, 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 or whatever it is. Now, in my particular case, Spirograph, oh, my God, my, when my mother bought me a Spirograph, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I truly just love that, you know. And in my very, very early childhood, I had the same experience with the phones. I had those rotary phones. And uh, I remember I was absolutely crushed when my mother gave them away. Oh, you know, she got gosh. to the point. She got to the point where she thought I was too old for them. You know, and yeah. she said, "You know, they're going to you know whoever your cousin." And I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't remember when I was little, little, but I remember that I used to love GI Joes and Hot Wheels because even as a kid I was basic. I was like, super basic. But yeah. I, with Hot Wheels, I always I never quite understood precisely what I was doing. Like I was just making the cars go vroom, vroom, right? But I'll never forget this one day my uncle came to visit from Toronto and he saw the Hot Wheels and he saw the tracks that we had and he saw some of the other doohickeys and gears that I didn't know what they were for. And I remember he built this phenomenal track in the basement that had like ups and downs and ramps and curves. And I always thought to myself, Wow, Uncle Ron, you've got life figured out. You know how to make, you know how to elevate these Hot Wheels. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and it, it was so great back in the day because adults 
enjoyed playing uh, those kinds of basic games with kids. You know, I mean, what parent hasn't sat down on the floor and built something in Meccano, you know, yeah, and, or, yeah. or, 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 or building blocks, you know? Uh, and of course, Barbie. Oh my gosh, you know, Barbie. <laughs> Jeez, you know, that was, uh, I was... I was absolutely enamored of that toy. So I, I was trying to help my friend's two-year-old build a dinosaur puzzle a couple of weeks ago. I, I realized very quickly that two-year-olds think about building puzzles in a much different way than I think about building puzzles. How so? Uh, she didn't seem to really care about what specifically had to go where, whereas I was <laughs> a little more concerned with actually doing it properly. And when she went down for her nap, guess who finished the puzzle? Just for the sake of his own OCD. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed the experience, Dave. Of course, of course. Uh, my friend was delighted that that I kept his daughter occupied for about 45 minutes. He was like, I will make you lunch for doing that. I'm like, this is a win-win for everybody. Uh, Don, thank you for this. Always great catching up. Okay, Dave, take care. That's Don Dickinson, producer of our reading program, Voices of the Walrus, which you can hear Sundays at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can hear Mike Ross right now who's got the big business story of the day. Mike, an update here on a story that has been bubbling for a little bit. It's the Microsoft acquisition of Activision. Yeah, we're sticking kind of in the uh, toy realm, if you will, that uh, Microsoft's plan to buy Activision Blizzard for nearly $69 billion nice. could have major effects on the gaming industry. So what they want to do is transform Xbox into sort of like a Netflix for video games, mm -hmm. right? They want to have control over all these popular titles. But in order to get to that next level... And you don't really think about this necessarily when you, you're you just a gamer, you hear this story, it sounds really cool. It's all the regulatory hoops that they need to jump through in places like New Zealand, Brazil, the United States, and the U.S. could be tough because uh, regulators, uh, emboldened by President Joe Biden uh, strengthening their enforcement of antitrust rules, mm -hmm. it's going to mean that they're going to have to jump through some extra hoops in the United States. So far, only Saudi Arabia has announced their approval for it, though there is a pending decision in the United Kingdom uh, to uh, either close or escalate its antitrust probe. And that will give us sort of a, a, an idea of where this exactly is going. But uh, this could be absolutely earth shattering here if this makes it through all the regulatory hoops that they've got to jump through. But uh, as great a headline as it is, it's important to read the fine print. Yeah. I, if, if I were if I were to make a prediction, I would say this is probably not going to have too much trouble jumping through the regulatory hoops. One, because both these companies can afford really good lawyers. They can really afford the good ones. But number two, typically when we're talking about antitrust, we're talking about two similar uh, companies in an industry. Although Xbox and Microsoft are a video game behemoth, they tend to be more of a platform, whereas Activision is more of a developer. Now, there could be something involved here in regards to a uh, proprietary side where Activision has typically sold games to both Sony and and uh, Microsoft and Nintendo, that there's been a, there's been a broadening of the, of the exclusivity there. That said, regulators have not had a problem with companies like EA Sports doing exclusive deals with various providers. So although these are very important regulatory hoops, if I were to make a prediction, I think it's going to go through without too much trouble. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. And and as you you point out very correctly, the EA Sports uh, deals that they do. So if you're a fan, for example, of the Madden football game, well, it's only available on one platform. The NHL games were only available on one platform. And that had that sort of shifted the market. And you either had to have that system or you were not playing Madden yeah. football. Yeah. Or you were not playing the, the MLB, MLB the show. Uh, you know, the show. For like exactly. 10 years, you could only play the yeah. show on PlayStation. That's right. So, uh, so you're right. I mean, it, this is not unheard of, but it is still something that's pretty gargantuan. <laughs> yeah. So when you're talking about $69 billion and, and really, I mean, in describing it as trying to become the Netflix of video games, I mean, that really paints a huge picture, doesn't yeah, it? That puts a big target on you. $69 yeah. billion and saying, we want to be the Netflix of video games. That's going to make a regulator sit up straight and say, little do bit. you now? Do you? Well, I've got a question. Mike, thank you for this. You got it, Dave. That is Mike Ross with the big business story of the day coming up next. Amy Manti will review the Netflix film, Day Shift, starring Jamie Foxx. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's a Thursday edition of AMI at the Movies. Typically, you get a Monday and a Friday. Today, you get a triple triple shot this week. We had Monday with Kim Thistle, today with Amy Amanti, and tomorrow with Michael McNeely. Got the good stuff coming your way, keeping you well-equipped. Let's bring in Amy Amanti, our film reviewer in Vancouver, with a review of the Netflix film Day Shift. Hey, good morning, Amy. Good morning, Dave. I know, two days in a row. Yeah, a double shot of Amy and a triple shot of AMI at the movies this week. We're having a good week. We're having a good week heading into a long weekend. So, Amy, this movie came out on Netflix, and it's described as a vampire film. What can you tell me about it? (laughs) It's described as a vampire film. And just a caveat, I'm actually a really big fan of the vampire genre. Um, I, I love me some vampires. So, in this film, we're following our central character, whose name is Bud. Um, played by Jamie Foxx. And Bud is, I'm going to say he's like a down-on-his-luck kind of father. He's (laughs) not estranged from his family, but, you know, he's a bit of a deadbeat dad. Not because he wants to be. I think he's got the best of intentions, but this is how we've framed this particular character and he um he appears to be working as a as a pool a pool man cleaning out people's pools all of that kind of thing uh and that's how we meet him first off in this in this film and we are surprised to find out that he's actually a vampire hunter just always oh, a vampire hunter okay i was gonna say he's a vampire just, hunter. Just, just your average working class vampire cleaning pools you know vampires gotta pay bills too in the age of Wouldn't inflation would that be an interesting story twist <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, talk to me about some of the stars who are going to be here. I mentioned Jamie Foxx before the break. Yep. So Jamie Foxx is in this one, which is probably the biggest surprise ever that Jamie Foxx would do a movie kind of like this. Um, uh, and he plays Bud. We've got Dave Franco, who plays Seth, which is kind of his comedic right-hand man. And there's a interesting... Uh, I, kind of side story there which i won't uh, i won't reveal here but it's kind of fun and then of all people snoop dog snoop Snoop dog snoop dog uh is also a vampire hunter s and double o p d o double (laughs) jazzy 
Uh, how how did that chemistry work? Because I think about Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, and Snoop as something of an odd brew. They are a bit of an odd brew, although I, I, Jamie Foxx apparently uh, cast Snoop Dogg personally for this role. So that tells you that they have some kind of friendship in the industry. Um, I don't know what the relationship is in the industry between them and um, them and Dave Franco, but Dave Franco is like the odd white man out here, literally. And he does play this awkward kind of white man, kind of geeky, nerdy character. And I also have a love for geeky, nerdy characters. Um, so you've got, you know, Jamie Foxx, who's like, you know, Bud is really, he knows what he needs to do. He knows how to hunt vampires. And Snoop Dogg is a, um, a force in, in, you know, like he's like the revered vampire hunter and everybody looks to him because he's killed more vampires than anybody else. Okay. So the character okay. dynamic is interesting, but also, you know, if anybody who knows Snoop Dogg, uh, he actually appears in this film like he's been smoking a blunt the whole thing. No, he would never. <laughs> Snoop Dogg would never. never would never do such a thing. Uh, Snoop there is kind of a Doggy. fun dynamic there, though. Not, that's, oh, I was just going to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't take themselves very seriously, which is uh, kind of the fun of this movie. Which then lead, that leads me into a genre question, because we are yes. starting to see the rise of a few more vampire comedies here and there. So how would you describe this in the way that it fits into the grander vampire genre? Yeah, you know, um, I think you're absolutely right. There are a lot of sort of supernatural style movies now, zombies, vampires, those kinds of things that are a little bit more off the cuff, that they're not taking themselves too seriously, as opposed to the, I don't know, the interview with the vampire type film that um, that those of us who love the vampire genre or the Twilights, those take themselves quite seriously. Um, so this is kind of a refreshing, it's a kind of a refreshing look into vampire lore i would say there's some interest there's an interesting hierarchy here and like to be all honest with you dave it's not the most cleverly written film it certainly isn't um but they have this sort of hierarchy this political hierarchy like a union of vampire hunters um and you know our seth character is the union representative that has to follow along to make sure that you know bud is actually doing his job properly so there's kind of this comedic thing it's set in modern day los angeles right so it's there's this comedic thing and so i think Coming out of something like the pandemic, this kind of refreshing look into this kind of uh, supernatural folklore is is kind of necessary. While we're in genre, uh, you mentioned this one's sort of a little bit uproarious or maybe poking some fun at the genre as a comedy. Have you ever seen What We Do in the Shadows, either the TV show yes. or the movie? Yes, I've seen the TV show. So big fan. Yeah. So that, that's where I kind of come down and say we're starting to see that pull back the other way, because typically the mm-hmm. vampire genre was either, as you say, the uh, I'm, I'm going to call it uh, dark romance, the twilight genre, yes. or you get the action genre of the blade or the horror genre of, say, 30 days of night or maybe some mm-hmm. of the more conventional stuff like Dracula. But it seems like we're starting to pull back the other way a little bit with the vampire genre, maybe not dissimilar to what we've seen with zombies in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's no real romance at all in this. And I, you're absolutely right when you think about exactly like, the interview with the vampires. They're They're very... Um, not flirtatious. I mean, can I say sexy on air? They're, 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 they're sexy. They're self-serious. They're, they're self-serious and they're sexy. Serious and 
Yeah, and they're they're usually dressed in period piece costumes, and they're full of you know velvet, right? Like this Ooh, is yes. a mm. lot of what we think about this. Um, this one actually, one one critic in the from the Los Angeles Times referred to this movie genre as a damned delight, <laughs> which I thought was kind of fun. That is good. Um, that is good. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This this sort of switch in genre is well needed. And like everything, we see movies go in patterns, right? Like we were just talking about the fact that there's a lot of sort of teenage geared movies and series out right now. Things seem seem to go in chunks of patterns. Since my vocal cord surgery, I don't know if I can hit this note anymore, but let's try and reference the Snoop Dogg <laughs> trying to borrow it from Drop It Like It's Hot. Snoop! Still got it. <laughs> Still, Still got, got it. it. Amy, this was directed by J.J. Perry. Anything you want to offer about his directorial style? Yeah, this is the first directorial, so it's his debut, J.J. Perry. And I guess what I would offer is, is that J.J. Perry is a stuntman. He has done stunt coordination and has worked with stuntmen and women and humans. Um, that has been what his industry flair has been all around stunts. And so when we see a stunt person making a film like this that is largely based on stunts, um, there is some magic to be ha to, to be seen uh, in some of these stunts. And then, of course, as you can imagine, um, we've got characters like Jamie Foxx, who is a human, uh, battling vampires, and vampires don't move like humans do, right? So imagine the kinds of stunts that these uh, contortionist stunt people are doing to make their bodies look like they're, mm. uh, you know, not human. You mentioned the stunts. How was the audio description to tell you how those stunts were playing out on screen? So I think the audio description was accurate, but my rub is, is that I don't think that every moment needs to be described because you can tell that they have sped up the speed of the description. So it's much faster because they have to fit in a lot. Um, and this we, we hear this right off the very top, the very first vampire that we meet. Um, and I, I kind of would have appreciated the the audio description maybe saying, and this is this is where we get, get into the difference between subjective and ob uh, objective, mm, right? Mm. Um, and I always look for just a little bit more subjective because what would have been nice is for the describer to have said something along the lines of, and I'm not a wordsmith, but that these movements are not human movements, right? Because they're trying to describe contortionist style movements with like legs over heads and heads poking out of places that heads don't poke out of. And it's like, just, you know, instead of trying to describe that for me where I can't make a picture out of that because the body doesn't move that way, you know, just this little note that these are vampires and the body, the human body doesn't move this way. Like yeah. it's unrealistic. It's, it's um, would have been nice. Described video as a blunt instrument is certainly and, described video but it can sometimes be a little too blunt. And I think they just, they, they tried to describe every moment in its in linear order. And it was like way too much yeah, for yeah. me to try and, and, and take in. Um, so kind of like a gist or a vibe would have been helpful to supplement some of those particular moves. What do you give the film out of 10 as a rating? I think you're going to be surprised. Um, I gave this one an eight out of 10. Like I said, it's not a really great written movie, but it has some interesting, because I'm a vampire fan, it has some interesting sort of political sort of, like I said, the, the union premises. And that I thought was really interesting to see. Like we're taking old vampires that are afraid of garlic and we're doing something new with them. And that kind of thing makes me interested. 
whether it's the greatest film in the world. One critic said, it's an interesting ride. You'll enjoy it while you watch it, but you won't remember a lot of it when you're done. And that's, that's kind of what it feels like. That might have something to do with the uh, Snoop Dogg level of consumption that I'm going to <laughs> dip into before I watch it. Uh, Amy, we've got about a minute left on the clock here. You say you're a fan of the genre. So for folks yeah. who love the vampire movies or maybe want to dip their cape in the water, what, uh, what do you recommend? You know, still my all-time favorite is Interview with the Vampire. And we can debate time and time again over whether Tom Cruise was the best choice for Lestat um, based on the book, um, which he probably wasn't. But I look at books and movies as completely different genres. Mm. And I absolutely do know that what's coming up in October, if anybody watches uh, AMC, is uh, there's going to be a TV series uh, like A Walking Dead based on Interview with the Vampire, so with those characters. And I'm really looking forward to that. All right. Okay. I'm going to give some more love to the horror film, 30 Days of Night. It is very alarming and uh, nightmare-inducing, and I loved it. Yeah. Amy, thank you for this. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week or the week after or sometime. Sounds good. Have a happy long weekend. Yeah, we're always going to talk to Amy. Amy's always around. (laughs) That's Amy Amanti with a film review of a review of Day Shift, which you can find on Netflix. Coming up after the break, Mike Ross has the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you live on AMI-tv and on demand on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, September the 1st, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Véronique Church-Duplessis discusses the benefits of mentorship for young people with disabilities in their career development. And Sean Priest of Double Tap Canada will look ahead to Apple's event in September. Oh, man, going to do some reckless speculation with Sean Priest. That's my favorite kind of speculation. Let's bring in Mike Ross. He's got the regional news update. Thank you, Dave. We'll begin in British Columbia and organizers of a compassion club in Vancouver say they will keep distributing tested cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine as well, even after Health Canada rejected an exemption application because their aim is to save people from dying on toxic street drugs. Eris Nix of the Drug User Liberation Front says regulation of illicit substances would stop deaths in BC, where 10,000 people have died since the province declared a public health emergency in 2016. However, Health Canada says it rejected the application because it would have allowed the purchase of illegally produced control substances from illegal vendors. The department says that approach would not have protected public health or maintain public safety and that it has funded 25 safer supply pilot projects in BC and three other provinces, though there isn't one solution to the overdose crisis. To the Prairie, Saskatchewan RCMP say no criminal charges will be laid in connection to an alleged exorcism at a Bible camp where a boy exhibited seizure-like symptoms. RCMP Superintendent Josh Graham says police didn't find any evidence that would support criminal code charges. Heather Rashinsky tells CTV News her son described an apparent exorcism at the camp in mid-July, during which one camper collapsed, bleeding from his face. 
Rashinsky says camp staff told her a worker had exercised five demons and that the boy had collapsed and was growling and contorting on the floor. On Tuesday, the Saskatchewan Camp Association told CTV News that the Bible camp's accreditation is under review. To Ontario, three provincial police officers have been charged with manslaughter after the deaths of a one-year-old boy and his father in Kawartha Lakes nearly two years ago. The province's police watchdog says each of the three officers are also charged with criminal negligence. The Special Investigations Unit says all the charges relate to the death of 18-month-old Jameson Shapiro. The SIU had said officers opened fire on the father's pickup truck while the child was in the back seat in November 2020 after the truck crashed into a police cruiser. To Quebec, Quebec Liberal Party leader Dominique Anglade says it's time to review the safety measures around political candidates. Her comments come after two recent violent incidents involving Liberal members and to the recent threats made against Conservative Party volunteers. On Tuesday night, the Montreal riding office of Liberal Enrico Ciccone was vandalized and robbed. And last week, a man called police to tell them he murdered Montreal Liberal candidate Marwa Rizki and to pick up her body. Conservative Party leader Eric Duhaime says two party volunteers in separate incidents were recently threatened after they caught people vandalizing election posters. Anglade says she wants to be reassured that her party can campaign across the province without being subject to violence. Meanwhile, on day five of Quebec's election campaign, Coalition Avenir Quebec leader François Legault is in Trois-Rivières, Quebec. For a news conference, Parti Québécois leader Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon is in Ottawa to discuss how he feels the Legault government's vision of federalism has failed. Quebec Solidaire spokesman Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois is in New Richmond for an announcement on lowering the cost of dental care, while Duhem is in Montreal for a news conference on daycares. And in the Atlantic region, environment officials say there's been a 4,500-liter gas spill in Charlottetown, PEI. An email from the department's spokeswoman says the spill occurred under the Petro-Canada station on the corner of Belvedere and University Avenues. Jill Edwards says the loss of gas was first noticed during a fuel delivery on Saturday and that the owner of the facility just informed the department about it yesterday. Edwards says due to the spill size and where it might have gone in the soil and groundwater table, the cleanup could be a long process. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. Let's bring in Brock Richardson. He's here for a sports chat. Brock, the eyes of the sports world were at Arthur Ashe Stadium last night as Serena Williams took the court for a second round matchup at the U.S. Open. I don't know if you had a chance to watch this one. I sure did. It was so compelling right from the start. I sure did watch it. I was uh, commuting uh, back from Toronto as it was nice to be in the AMI studios for a bit Mm -hmm. yesterday. This was one of the uh, most exciting games I've watched. Both competitors, Arnett Kornikovet and Serena Williams, uh, really played a really wonderful, wonderful game. It was so great to watch. Uh, Just back and forth, both 
breaking each other, uh, winning on serve. There was just all kinds of things. And everything took place in that. And I, I, we talked about this earlier this week that we're just seeing Serena play at such a level where it's like, wow, this is amazing to watch her do this. Mm. She is 40, uh, 40 years old, almost 41, and her opponent was 26. <laughs> so, like, this is this is one of those things where it's like, credit to Serena Williams. I bow down to you, my friend, because... At the age of 40, I can't imagine trying to play competitive tennis against a 26-year-old. So very, very cool. I just think, Dave, she's thriving so well on what's happening. And I think part of it is just the pomp and circumstance, as we've discussed. But, man, she is playing at a high level. And today uh, she plays with her sister, uh, Venus, uh, for the first time in primetime playing doubles. So that'll be cool as well. I also want to just hit on Bianca Andrescu winning her uh, second round match against uh, Beatrice Mayer. Uh, again, this was a match that was postponed by about two and a half hours. Do you know how difficult it is to keep yourself in a you know, well-rounded mindset when you have your game postponed in about two and a half hours? So that was pretty cool to watch. She seems to be in decent form as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rebecca Marino advancing for Canada yesterday as well at the U.S. Open, which was great to see. I do want to backtrack here, Brock, to the Serena Williams match because the first set was remarkable. Back and forth, going to a tie break. There were deuces everywhere. It was incredible. But I yeah. thought watching the second set that Serena was out of gas, Kornikovic was just putting beautiful shots all over the course uh, court, placed everywhere where Serena just couldn't get to them. That It just seemed like the athleticism wasn't there to stretch the court the way she used to be able to. But then in the third set, the power came back. And as soon as she started playing that power game, Kornikovic didn't have it. Just, just couldn't match Serena's power despite her trying. And as soon as she stopped with the touch play, Serena just took control of that third set and it was a no contest. Yeah, and you give Serena even an inch of of space to make things happen. And if she starts to believe again, because I'm like you, after that set where it was like, oh, Serena's kind of losing it, I thought maybe we were talking this morning about the end of Serena's career. Not so fast. Yeah, not so fast. Before we move on, I just want to comment about uh, Rebecca Moreno. This is the first time she's advanced to the third round in 11 years, so what a wonderful story. Uh, Dennis plays today, uh, and Oje Aliasim has been eliminated yeah. as well. Yeah. So uh, we're losing some Canadians <laughs> as we go, but it's fine. We've got a couple of good stories uh, coming along still as we head towards the second week of this event. Yeah, like I mentioned to you earlier in the week, I just feel like the men's side, because really only Nadal's there, there's no Federer, there's no Djokovic, the men's side isn't as exciting. But if El Chapo, as Jeff used to call him, Denis Shapovalov uh, makes, a, makes a run, that excitement will certainly rile up on the Canadian side as well. Brock, and his opponent, today, his opponent today is a clay court specialist, for whatever that means. <laughs> I don't know, but... 
which is, I'll just throw that out there. I, think, I, don't whatever, know what, but. I don't know what that means on a hard court, but it's certainly a clay court specialist. Maybe he'll bring his own clay with him. Just throw some clay on the court and be like, ah, I fooled you, El Chapo. Uh, Brock, let's uh, pivot quickly to the hockey world. It seems like the Pittsburgh Penguins have been rambling under the radar for a huge chunk of the summer after they extended a huge chunk of their veteran core. Well, now they're extending their coach, Mike Sullivan, as well. I don't understand Pittsburgh. Like, I just, like, they, they're sort of living in this world of, like, we're kind of in it, we're kind of not. And then the extension of Mike Sullivan just made me go, huh? Like, okay, I guess we're believing in in what we see there. And that's all well and good. I just think at some point we're going to have to move away from, you know, Evgeny Malkin, maybe. I mean, I certainly you're not going to move away from Sidney Crosby. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I just think that, you know, even with all the changes with Brian Burke going over to Pittsburgh, you just kind of think there's nothing really changing. They're moving pieces in the front office around, but the players are remaining the same. And last time I checked, it, the players are the people that, you know, bring home trophies and stuff, mm. not the front office necessarily unless they make moves which it seems they're not so by extending crystal tang and evgeny malkin earlier this summer they basically as you say are saying let's run it back the fact is even if they're not necessarily a stanley cup contender they i think just want to give a little bit of love to this core that did win them three stanley cups and take them to a few more finals i it's it's maybe not the soundest organizational strategy because you very quickly become the Detroit Red Wings and then say, wow, we made the playoffs for 20 straight years and then we've been absolute uh, uh, trash for about five or six years. So there's there's some risk in this strategy, but I but I will say that at a certain point when you've got the Latang, Malkin, and Crosby jerseys for sale, you've got a happy fan base. So long as you can keep making the playoffs, at a certain point you say, well, let's just run this back until those guys have said they even. Done. And even like um, the Detroit Red Wings, it seemed over the last couple of years as they got to their 20 years playoffs, it seemed like they were satisfied with, well, we made it for 20 years. Um, Don't you want to win a championship? (laughs) Like, are are we talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs making the playoffs and not getting out of the first round? Like, what are we doing with some of these organizations? I I don't get it. I just don't get it. Uh, Between 95 and 2009, Detroit won like five cups. I'm not going to shed any tears for the Red Wings. Fair, (laughs) but... Uh, Brock, let's get your let's get like your micro quick thought here on the Toronto Blue Jays, who did drop a game to the Cubs last night. After what ended up being a pretty darn good series from a baseball perspective. Yeah, it's pretty darn good. But you know, we seem to lose when the teams uh, behind us are winning. A uh, Baltimore won, whereas the Blue Jays lost. The Blue Jays just can't have nice things, Dave. I, I like what I see from Mitch White. You know, he he still being able to hold his own with some of the injuries that are taking place. But the Toronto Blue Jays just can't have nice things. And this weekend is coming into a big series where we have Pittsburgh, who is way under uh, 500, and then a big four-game series in three days against Baltimore. Yeah. But we'll talk more in depth about, about that tomorrow. We will talk more about that. But while we're just mentioning the Baltimore Orioles, they did call up their infielder 
Gunnar Henderson yesterday, the second-rated prospect in all of baseball to uh, play for them down the stretch. So Baltimore loading up from inside. I guess when you've been bad for like 20 years, you have lots of prospects to call upon on a playoff push. Brock, After they traded uh, Trey Mancini away at the deadline and everyone thought, oh, that's the end of the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> no, well, no, not so fast. We've got a great prospect pool, and we can just keep yeah. pulling 20-something-year-olds out of our system to uh, give us little pushes here. Brock, one of the things that's been really great about having you on the sports chat as you're as you're moving into this role is you're helping me learn a lot about sports especially on the parasport front as a Paralympian yourself as a host of the neutral zone you are on that beat through and through but we had an email exchange last week where we talked about some of the beats where maybe you're not as familiar and there's one where I think I'm going to have the opportunity to help you grow as a sports fan Brock tonight College football is back in earnest. Yes, Northwestern played against Nebraska in Ireland last weekend on week zero. That doesn't count. The real business gets underway tonight on TSN2 at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Pittsburgh and West Virginia going back at it. Brock, why do I sound so excited? No, it's not just that football is back. It's that this rivalry dates back years and years and years and years as part of the Big East. That conference Pittsburgh and West Virginia despised each other. They used to beat each other up on the basketball court. They used to beat each other up in the stands. They used to beat each other up on the football field. They despised each other. Those two campuses are 77 miles apart, a short drive, and they have not played in 11 years. They've not played since 2011, since the death of the Big East and the realignment of college football. Brock, tonight it's back in Pittsburgh, there's going to be 60,000 people in the stadium. There's going to be more thousands around the stadium. These two teams are renewing acquaintances. And even if the game stinks, the atmosphere is going to be amazing. Yes, you, uh, when we talked about this in email this morning, I thought, well, you know, let me uh, let me delve into a little bit of game preview. And, and it, it seems that, you know, people are wondering what this, this is going to be with that long gap of uh, of of time and it's funny because they lost a guy which i was surprised uh a couple of guys uh one to the nfl pittsburgh did and i'm talking about kenny pickett mm-hmm. and that seems like a that seems like a big loss in everything that i'm reading and so that's where this game from a game perspective may stink but everything i'm reading and as you point out the atmosphere is going to be incredible and i am intrigued and looking forward to talking about that tomorrow as we uh, talk about what took place. Can can I give you one more nugget on this game, Brock? One more teensy sure. tiny nugget? Forget the rivalry of, ge- of geography. Forget the 77 miles that separates these two schools. Both of them went into the transfer portal this summer to bring in new quarterbacks. As you mentioned, Pittsburgh lost their quarterback to the draft, Kenny Pickett. So they go out. And they go get a quarterback from the University of Southern California, JT Daniels, who was recruited as a five-star quarterback about three or four years ago. He's had nothing but injury trouble. But Pittsburgh says, we're going to bring this guy in as an upperclassman. He's going to take the reins. Well, when he was at the University of Southern California dealing with injuries, he was replaced by a player named Caden Slovis. And apparently there was no love lost between the two. Well, guess who else got in the transfer portal from University of Southern California this year? Caden Slovis, who is playing for West Virginia. Brock, is there anything better than pride on the line? Oh, 100%. And and football (laughs) players have a lot of, well, I mean, athletes in general, but football players seem to have a lot of pride 
in there. So there'll be some rivalry there. And I'm looking forward to learning a lot from you and delving into the college world because it's not something I've delved into before. I just started getting into the basketball tournament. So yeah. now it's time to get into yeah. football. Well, you're going to teach me a whole bunch and I'm going to teach you a whole bunch. And that's what we do together on the sports chat. We grow together, Mr. Richardson. But in the meantime, you have yourself a great day. You as well. Thanks so much. Talk to you tomorrow. That is Brock Richardson. He's here for the sports chat, and he's also the host of The Neutral Zone, which you can find in podcast form on AMI-audio, and we'll have some new broadcast details about when that hits the air for you next week because there's a there's a time change on that, but I don't have it in front of me right now, so I don't want to give you bad information. You know who's going to give you good information, though? It's Eliza Rocco and the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Eliza, I say good, not saying that you're necessarily going to be sharing good news because some of these forecasts might not be great. What I mean by good (laughs) is I mean solid journalistic information. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Um, So first up, we have Corner Brook, Newfoundland, where it's cloudy. Rain beginning this morning with a risk of thunderstorms and a high of 23. Next up is Charlottetown PEI, where it's clearing this morning with a high of 24. In St. John's, it's clearing this morning as well with a high of 22. And in Quebec City, it is cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with a high of 17. And here in Toronto, it's a mix of sun and cloud, becoming sunny this morning with a high of 25 degrees. And in Sault Ste. Marie, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this morning with a high of 25 degrees. And in Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with a high of 33 Then in Regina, it is also sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds this afternoon. A high of 35, Dave. 35. That's that's warm. That's warm. And that means there's also a heat warning in effect. Uh, Next is Lethbridge, where it is a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers early this morning. And then it will clear up later this morning. There is also a heat warning in effect here with a high of 33 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly sunny, with a heat warning in effect as well, with a high of 25 degrees. Wait, they get a heat warning at 25? I, I know. I, I looked at that a couple times. I was like, is, is this right? Soft. Is this right? It's, it's 35 other places. It, is, on, Red, Red it is Red Deer, though. They're not used to that kind of That heat. is true. That's okay, Red Deer. <laughs> um, next up is Whitehorse Yukon, where it's cloudy with 40% chance of showers and a high of 12 degrees. Ooh, okay, a little chilly in Whitehorse. I'll take it. I would love to go to Whitehorse. And in Kelowna, BC, it is sunny with a high of 31 degrees. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it is sunny with a high of 25 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Eliza. We'll talk to you a little bit later this hour. But coming up next, Sean Priest from Double Tap will discuss the Apple event coming your way in September. But first, an artificial intelligence rapper lost its record deal. Wait, what? Let me read that to you again. An artificial intelligence rapper 
lost its record deal. We need Derek Dennis to explain this in Tech Trends. Futurist Sinead Bovell says FN Mecca uses artificial intelligence to create lyrics for its songs, and it's those lyrics that landed the digital avatar in trouble last week. The use of offensive language uh, of this rapper really depicted black culture in a very dangerous, stereotypical fashion. While FN Mecca's creators have not specified its race, Bovell says... The people who are generating commercial benefit from this virtual being that is based off of really dangerous black stereotypes aren't a part of the black community at all. And with more and more of our work and life going online... It's part of an emerging ethical conflict that we're going to want to discuss as a society before we step into an even more virtual world. With Tech Trends, I'm Derek Dennis, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Just before we bring in Sean Priest of Double Tap, I've got some breaking news. I told you right off the top of the show that there was going to be an expected press conference this morning from Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos talking about the approval of a booster vaccine produced by Moderna that more specifically targets the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Well, Health Canada has indeed approved that booster vaccine. This just happened a couple of moments ago, still waiting for more details to come through in regards to distribution to the provinces, supply, etc. But that booster from Moderna that targets the Omicron variant has been approved by Health Canada. Now we can bring in Sean Priest of Double Tap. And of course, you can find Double Tap weekdays at noon Eastern and Saturdays at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio as part of the new schedule that launches today. Sean Priest is a busy man and one of the co-hosts of the show, but still makes time for us today. Hey, good morning, Sean. Good. Is it more? I have no idea anymore. I'm in a daze. Hello. How are you? (laughs) Working six days a week and the Sean of the Shed podcast. This guy, he's a workaholic. We worry about you, Sean. Thank you. It's fine. I just don't want to go to the house with the rest of the family. I love it in my shed. I'm staying here. My man cave. Yeah, nothing like being cast off to the shed and enjoying yourself while you're there. So, Sean, let's, let's look ahead to an Apple event in September. What exactly is happening? Right. Well, let me say this first off, Dave. Uh, I didn't like your tone there. This is the Apple event. You should be oh, oh, the Apple event. <laughs> let's let's take a wheels. big bite out of the Apple event with Sean Priest. <laughs> oh, that's so much better. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> there is something about the Apple event against all the others. You know, there's something, I don't know what it is about tech events, but they've become almost celebrity, right? And it, it, it's, it's strange. I know they have lost their shine a little bit, but... Uh, Yes, in September, we will have arguably what all the other companies watch as well. They they take the lead from Apple, rightly or wrongly, but they do. So in September 7th, we do have the Apple event where we will see the iPhone what? 14. Yes, oh, we're wow. there already. Oh, man. Uh, it's going to be beautiful or it's just going to be uh, <laughs> exactly the same. Who knows? We don't know as yet. Uh, but yes, the, the rumors are quite quite wild about this one that the um we're going to see a pro and we're going to see a new series eight apple watch uh but you know that's the things we expect the the more exciting thing about the rumors are the things that we're not quite sure about and again everyone's waiting for the apple glass the 
wearable smart glasses, where uh, which would be such a boom to us. Recently, I've been using uh, Bose frames. You know, these are audio sunglasses, um, but I've been using them with apps such as uh, Soundscape, and they are really useful. Mm. Um, and I cannot wait until we are starting to see uh, services such as Ira. I don't, do you use Ira at all? I, I don't, but, but just earlier in the week, we were talking about the partnership that Ira has formed with Envision to start allowing exactly. the cameras built into that glasses to start partnering with the, the site assistance service of Ira. And that is amazing. And, and that is exactly, it's, it's the sort of tool that we've been waiting for. Uh, you know, I, I was saying Stephen stayed with me a few days ago and we were in the middle of Manchester and we had to find a burger place. Uh, of course we did. We had to. <laughs> of course uh, you do. So, yeah. So instead of he was fumbling around with Google Maps, or I said, just get Ira. So he opened up Ira and the guy, you know, we had to cross major roads in the middle of the town center, made us, uh, you know, we were able to cross easily. He GPSed us right to the door. It was absolutely amazing. That service is amazing. Now, when Apple glasses hit, then the rest of the companies are going to follow suit mm-hmm. and we are going to get wearable smart glasses and not having to hold your phone out in front of you for services such as Ira is going to be amazing. Um, again, I hope we're going to see uh, wearables, the AR glasses, but yeah, who knows? Uh, I, I can't wait. I love the Apple event. Sean, quick detour. How are the burgers? No, expensive is what I'm going to say. As a cheapskate, Dave, <laughs> not you, me. I, it was a place called. Can I say it? I'm yeah, go say for it. it. Say it's it. a place. It's a place over here, which is new to us, called Five Guys. Oh, Five Guys no? is good, but it is expensive. Oh my goodness, uh, is Five Guys pricey? Yeah, the pickles. Oh, Chris, I'm a. Oh, crispy pickles, absolutely. Hello, this is a tech show, honestly. Uh, the crispy pickles were absolutely amazing, but wow, that was expensive. But it was fine because Stephen bought it. Yeah, it's called Five Guys because it requires five guys to pay the bill by the time you're, by the time you're done right. making your order. Uh, Sean, I, so you mentioned that maybe phones are not, are, not, are not creating the same kind of buzz as usual because really we're at a point where we've, we maybe have maxed out what we can pull from a phone here other than screen size, maybe a little bit of speed here and there, a slightly nicer camera. But when I start yes. saying words to you like AirPods or Apple Silicon Mac, does any of that no. move the needle for you? Uh, I, yes, I don't think we're going to see any of that in this event, though. I think you know, later on, we are going to see, before the end of year, we are going to have another event where we will see the new Mac Pro, I'm pretty sure, maybe a new iPad, uh, a bigger entry-level iPad. Uh, but with this event, as I said, I, I, I don't think we're going to see anything like that. I, I've got a sneaking suspicion and dread that it will just be iPhone 14 and the smartwatch. Um, and... and Maybe some AirPods Pro 2s. Okay. That's another rumor okay. as well. Uh, again, there's nothing here that really wows me. I am. I feel a little bit bad saying, you know, the, the iPhone is a little bit of a yawn fest. And it could be. It could well be. What you said is absolutely right. But then again, you know, the, the LiDAR sensor, which has only previously been available in the top tier right, iPhones. Right which has some great accessibility uses for us because it's able to map your environment in 3D. Um, if we see that move down to some of the more mid-range and you know, the, uh, lower range uh, iPhone models, then that would be a great thing. 
Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, 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 is, what does Apple call those mid-range models? Is it the S model? Is that what they're called? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Or, or am, I, am I thinking about the Samsung models that are called, that are yes. called the S? Yes, that's right. They, so uh, with the iPhone, we have so far anyway, with the 13 range, we had the mini, then we have the iPhone 13, then we have the iPhone Pro, and I think we have the iPhone Pro Max as well. I think there's all okay. in the range. Okay. Now, the, the rumor is that the, uh, the mini may be going away. Uh, but there's also a rumor that we may see a new iPhone SE. Now, the iPhone SE. Right, that was it, is, the SE. There you go. Now you're helping me there out. There you go. Yes, a very, very popular phone, very affordable when, when we're talking about smartphone prices, obviously. <laughs> it's uh, a matter of relativity. It, absolutely, yes. But, I mean, usually it's got the latest generation chip in it, the processors. So the performance on an iPhone SE is always great. And a lot of people love them because the previous versions have always kept the home button and the Touch ID, which I know a lot of people, especially us in our community, absolutely love. Yeah, the Face ID stuff just doesn't work for me. They're like, stop squinting. I'm like, I can't. That's just how, <laughs> that's just how I be. That's discrimination. Yeah, no yeah. These iPhones don't like albinos. It's just the way that it goes. <laughs> hey, Sean, you know who I do like? I like you. Always fun catching up, and uh, best of luck grinding away with Stephen and Mark on these daily shows, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, that, mate. That's Sean Priest, one of the members of the Double Tap family. You can find that show weekdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, we'll be finding out what's trending on social media with Nazreen Abdel-Majid, and we'll follow up with Eliza on an Avril Lavigne story. Avril Lavigne making headlines everywhere. This is Now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Almost said audio by mistake. That would have been that would have been something in the tip jar, the charity jar. But because I corrected myself, no money in that charity jar for now. But when I get the branding wrong over the course of the next month or so, we're gonna start a little collection here. Put it in the jar. Give it to charity at the end of the month. We can always count on me being a disaster. A lot changes in this world, but me confusing branding in times of change, very reliable. What you can also rely upon is me giving to you the Accessibility Story Roundup. <laughs> this coming to you from Sean Heasley in Disability Scoop, Netflix looks to increase disability representation in kids' show. This is... Netflix is backing a new effort to train writers, animators, and creative ex executives who have disabilities to work on television shows aimed at preschoolers and children. The streaming service will team with the disability nonprofit Respectability to establish the Children's Content Lab for Disabled TV Creators, a five-week program to build up new talent in the children's television space. Up to 15 participants will take part in workshops, trainings, panel discussions, and networking events, the organizers have said. They will also be assigned mentors, go through table reads of each writer's project, and have a week of career training with industry experts. The Children's Content Lab is modeled off the Respectability Entertainment Lab, an existing program that has seen people move on to positions at places like DreamWorks, Netflix, Nickelodeon, Paramount, Sony, and the Walt Disney Company, going all the way up to the mouse. This is a good news story. Here's the one caveat I throw out there. 
It's one thing to train people and say, yeah, we're going to train you, we're going to give you opportunities, and then we're going to try to help place you in spots to make sure representation is done well behind the scenes. You know where money would also be really useful? Greenlighting projects that actually positively portrayal, portray people with disabilities. Like that's, that's a really good one too. So train people, fantastico. But there's another step you can do as well. Let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid. She's going to tell you what's trending. Nizreen, what's popping out there on social media? So one of Canada's top trends is hashtag better than me. Louis Tomlinson has surprised fans yesterday when he announced that his second studio album is being released, Faith in the Future, on November 11th. Uh, but following up that announcement, he talks about his first single, Better Than Me, that arrived, that released this morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. So I took a listen to it. Um, interesting. Not my vibe, to be honest, but it's interesting. It's very different than the former One Direction uh, member that I used to listen to, I guess. Okay, uh, okay. This was the important thing for I me, know, Nazarene, because, because, no, no, because okay. you mentioned Louis Tomlinson, and I was like, who is that? You guys have been oh, beating me over the head with it. Harry Styles for weeks, which is fine. <laughs> and I've told you before, I like that guy. Uh, what's his name? Neil, who had that slow hand song, who was also part of One Direction. Like that I song. Am. That's a jam. But I didn't know who Louis Tomlinson was. So that thank you for explaining to me that this yeah. is having to do with the One Direction love that surrounds me at all corners between mm-hmm. you, Grace, and Eliza. Yeah, I, you know, I like them as a group for sure i used to listen to them as a group a lot so when they split things changed and i i don't like change very much sometimes uh but <laughs> but yeah so faith in the future marks uh tomlinson's second stu- second album released as a solo artist so this is officially after walls um a faith in the future but uh, get this so louis it has CDs, vinyls, and cassette tapes oh, yeah. available on his website, as well as obviously you can pre-tape the uh, pre-save the song. Uh, but like cassettes, CDs, and vinyls, it's all do coming you back. Buy any of these? It's all coming back, Nazarene. I will no I mean, longer. It's about the aesthetic. I, I yeah, need sure. I need less clutter in my life, not more clutter. So I will not be buying physical copies of CDs mm-hmm. or uh, or or <laughs> or vinyls. I don't I don't even have a record player or cassette players. I no longer have my Walkman, so I couldn't play my I couldn't play my cassettes even if I had them. But I understand all y'all who love your Stranger Things want the physical copies of yeah. things now because everything '80s is hip again. It's so true though. I I like buying vinyls, but CDs and cassette tapes. I mean, I'm a hoarder. Uh, enough like it's it's enough that what i have right now yeah. is more than enough right but cassette tapes i just <laughs> i i remember cassette tapes don't think that i'm yeah. that young you're you're um, you're a dj though so for you keeping vinyls makes sense right because yeah. you have work as a dj having vinyl copies of records actually makes legitimate sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is it does right like it's fine if I keep more yeah. and if I buy more. Yeah, just, it's an excuse. Nazreen, just more. keep shopping. It's up to you to keep the economy humming. Otherwise, we're going into a recession. So I put that pressure on you <laughs> as I say goodbye for the day. I, I will. I will. Thank you for the advice. <laughs> keep, keep the consumption happening, Nazreen. That's Nazreen Abdelmajid letting you know what's trending. Let's bring, bring in Eliza Rocco for an entertainment report.
So, Eliza, we talked about Avril Lavigne on the show yesterday, and then she continued to make more news as the day went along. Oh, yeah. She is back in the news, and I am thrilled about it. Um, Yesterday, she officially got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame 20 years after her first album. Um, Her first album included... Her most iconic songs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, complicated. Skater Boy. Skater Boy. That's it. Uh, I would just, I would disagree. <laughs> I would, I, I, I like a lot of songs. I am, album, but I understand. I am making enemies all over the place today. <laughs> I, I made, I made uh, that comment. I guess some would have thought about it as snide about One Direction, and apparently Grace almost came through the glass at me. Now I'm being snide about about. <laughs> But Avril Lavigne, I'm making enemies. I'm making enemies all over the place. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm sure she and I will forgive you. (laughs) Um, So she had quite a public ceremony with uh, her receiving this star. A bunch of her friends and family were there. One of the people who were there was singer Machine Gun Kelly, uh, who in his speech expressed that Avril was a huge source of inspiration for him as well as his whole generation of kids, which... I absolutely agree. Yeah, that's fair. That's super fair. And during her own speech, uh, Avril Lavigne started by revealing a photo of her 16-year-old self, her first time in Hollywood, um, wearing the exact same outfit she wore to receive the star. Oh, that's lovely. So fun. Which made it even better was the outfit was a sweater emblazoned with the words, skateboarding is not a crime. (laughs) And I think I think as I as I looked at the picture, I thought I saw the the, the pants looking a little plaidy, a little black and red plaidy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, a little pajama pants. Yeah, kind of action, but th- that's her vibe, that's, you know. That's it the nineties, man. That's the nineties. I listen. I would still be wearing pajama pants right now if I could, but uh, that would be a dress code violation. You, you got shot from the from the waist up. Yeah. Anyways. The thing is, I have to walk to work. Now there is like now there is now there's enough shame in the fact that I wear cargo shorts every day, which which earns me enough mocking, as it were. I think pajama pants would be sort of the the next the next step in the mockage of Dave. That's fair. That's fair. I, I would wear pajama pants, too, if I said so. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, sorry. I know, I know I pinned you into a gender comment and thought yesterday as well, but I do think that there's kind of a more socially acceptable world for women to wear athleisure clothes in public than for men. Yes and no. I think um, I, I see many a man with basketball shorts and a tank top out. <laughs> Out there, they're walking around yeah. as much as girls in yoga pants. Yeah, okay. I, I'll, 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 I, I don't know if I've seen the exact same ratio, but I'll, but I'll grant you that there's plenty of dudes who dress pretty terribly out there in the world. Uh, I remember I was making fun of our dear friend Jeff Ryman a couple of weeks ago. He came into the office, and Jeff, you know I love you when I say this to you. The guys walking around wearing a pair of basketball shorts, slide sandals with socks on, white socks on. I was like, dude. That is the look. That is what my boyfriend looks like at home always. Oh, always. at home. At home is a different scenario. At home, you should be able to wear whatever you're comfortable in. Yeah, I don't know if he'd walk out of the house with that, ex- maybe a version of that look. Maybe not the exact same look. I've, However, I do love the socks and sandals. I've many times on this show talked about the sweatpants radius, the acceptable range from your house that you can be wearing sweatpants. And unless you're going to the gym, unless you're going to engage in athleticism, the range is sort of to your closest convenience store. And even then, you probably should be wearing something with a belt. 
I, I wear, I live in quite a posh area of downtown. So <laughs> Do you? I wear oh, sweatpants wow. out of my house. Uh, oh, it's not good. There's just, everyone looks so good all the time. I get some shameful stares. So I have to like leave my house looking <laughs> like at least halfway decent. No, no athleisure, no sweatpants. Yeah. I, Eliza, as a Montrealer, I'm, I'm with you through and through. Solidarity. You've got to look good when you leave the house. Just look good-ish when you leave the house. Within reason. Okay enough, you know? Yeah, again, I'm wearing cargo shorts. So, like, who am I to really judge here? <laughs> but I, I think the cargo shorts have a have buttons and a, and a belt involved, which means we're, you know, slightly above the basketball shorts for ranking. Sure. Sort of. Kind of. Maybe. Eliza, thank you for this. Thank you, Dave. That's the entertainment report and a bit of fashion talk with Eliza Rocco. There's no Rumya on our show today, but Kelly and Company still hits the airwaves today on AMI-audio at 2 p.m. Eastern time. You'll get an update from the folks at CNIB Smart Life. You'll have a chance to learn about the Canadian Adaptive Climbing Society and the services they provide. And it's a Thursday edition of The Buzz with Bill. Bill Shackleton will drop by the show. Bill was in the building yesterday. Had a nice chance to catch up with Bill and see how he's doing. Kelly and Company comes your way, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Véronique Church-Diplessis discusses the benefits of mentorship for young people with disabilities in their career development. This is now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We've been talking a little bit about mentorship on the show today. It's part of our daily poll, which you can find at Accessible Media on Twitter or Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, where we're asking you, have you had a mentor in your professional life or just in your personal life? Well, when young people enter the working world, one of the most valuable resources they can access is support from a mentor. But just how impactful can that relationship be for an employee with a disability? Well, a new study presented last week explores that very subject and its impact on career development. Véronique Church-Duplessis is the Director of Research and Evaluation with Mentoring Canada, and it's here to tell you more about the study called Mapping the Mentoring Gap. Hey, good morning, Véronique. Thank you for making time for us today. Good morning, Dan. Thank you for having me. So tell me a bit about the role and tasks that a mentor takes on. Oh, really? A mentor can do anything. Um, that's what's wonderful about uh, being a mentor is that you're really there to be present um, for, for a young person or for an older person, really. And um, you provide emotional support. You can provide tactical support in terms of developing skills. Mm. Um, you can provide guidance. And you're really there to listen and help a person set goals and, and then do what you can to help them reach those, that, uh, those goals. As we've been talking on the show today about mentors in our lives who've played a meaningful role, a lot of it has been informal. It's people that we just happen to meet who maybe take us under our wing. How common is it for a Canadian employer to integrate a mentor-mentee concept as almost a policy from an HR perspective? It is becoming more common because I think employers are realizing that to have um, positive work climates and cultures and to really help your employees achieve their potential, you need to do more than just attend to skills development. You need to attend to the whole person. Uh, you need to understand more about who they are, um, what their goals are, and what you can do to, to support them. And you need to also look at providing 
social and emotional support. Um, so it is becoming more common, and um, but it is still not that common. There are some some smaller uh, businesses or enterprises that sometimes struggle a little bit more with mm. implementing programs. Let's circle back to the premise that I laid out in the intro in the way in the positive benefits and how that can impact a person with a disability. What are some of the positive impacts that young people with disabilities may get from a mentor? So what we see is that um, each mentoring relationship is unique. So we see a lot of young people who tell us that their mentors help them develop essential skills or job related skills or if they're studying, they help them develop um, academic skills. But we also see that mentors help them build bridges and connections. So they open doors and uh, open young people's eyes to opportunities and things that uh, they might not have considered before. But they also help in areas that we might underestimate, such as building confidence in um, your own skills and your own abilities, in um, increasing your self-esteem, um, in increasing your hope and optimism. So um, really, it's, it's quite holistic in terms of what a mentor can do for a young person and a young person with a disability. Um, and overall, we tend to see very clearly that if a young person has had um, a mentor, they tend to do better overall than mm. um, their peers who have not had mentors. In your research and in this study, has there been a gap identified in regards to young people with disabilities getting access to a mentor? So in terms of access, to one mentor, not quite. But what I think is an important thing to consider is, is that one mentor might not be able to support you um, and answer all of your needs throughout your life. And that we all need multiple mentors um, along our journeys. And what we found for youth who experience disabilities is that they're more likely to say that um, they can think about a time when they wanted a mentor but did not uh, did not have access uh, to to that mentor. So in, instead of thinking about, okay, well, a young person has had one mentor and therefore they're, they're set for life, it's more important to think about, do they have the right mentors at the right times um, along their journeys? And unfortunately, we found that um, youth with disabilities reported higher rates of not having had that person for them when they wanted them. Hmm. What does the research suggest we can do to start closing that gap? I know before I was asking you about sort of the formalization of mentor-mentee processes and relationships, but what can we do to start closing this gap and giving more young people access to the mentor, who they need, when they need them? Right. And programs, mentoring programs are great and they're important, but they're not the, the whole solution, right? I think that more importantly, each of us individually have um, a role to play and we can all adopt a mentoring mindset in our interactions with youth with disabilities on a day-to-day -day basis and get to know them, get to know their goals. Um, if they're not sure about what their goals are, help them set goals and then do what we can to help them achieve those goals. And, you know, we don't have to be superheroes and have um, all of the answers, but rather it's um, about building those bridges to people who might or services who might be able to help them achieve those goals if it's beyond our own capabilities. So it's natural and informal mentors that are the most common types of mentors that any young person in Canada um, have. But uh, we can still there's still room for improvement if we're deliberate in adopting a mentoring mindset in our day to day interactions with uh, youth with disabilities.
Veronique, we've got about two minutes left here on the clock. I'm curious if there's been someone in your life who you can reflect on who's been a great mentor for you, who's helped you get where you're at. Yes. Um, you know, my master's supervisor really comes to mind. I was a, a first-generation university student, and um, I think that's a common story for anybody who's had a mentor. Um, that person made me feel like I belong. Um, that's such an undervalued and important foundational aspect of anybody's success, feeling that you belong in your job, in your career, in your education, in any institution that might not be necessarily welcoming um, for you. And um, yeah, my master's supervisor really um, set the stage for me to continue with my my graduate studies, mm. and I wouldn't be here without um, what she did for me. Yeah. Um, then. It's really lovely when people can bring us under their wings like that and help us uh, get onto that path as we're experiencing something uh, brand new. Uh, Veronique, I know there's a lot of really interesting data within this study that we're just sort of scratching at right here. Where can our audience find the study or get access to it? So you can go to mentoringcanada.ca and uh, you can find the study uh, there. There's a news article on our site uh, that links directly to it. Uh, there's a lot of rich information in there, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Well, Veronique, we really thank you for the work that you and your colleagues are doing on this issue. And thank you for taking some time to uh, make us a little bit smarter this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I have a great day. That's Veronique Church-Duplessis, the Director of Research and Evaluation with Mentoring Canada. And again, you can head over to their website to learn more about the study, or you can head over to our blog, which is another thing that's changed that I'm going to mess up the branding on a bunch of times with uh, new web addresses and methods of broadcast on Now with Dave Brown. But head over to ami.ca slash now. ami.ca slash now. In a way, I like that because it's even more simple. The less things you make me say, the less likely I am to mess it up. But nonetheless, (laughs) give me a challenge and I will rise to it. ami.ca slash now is where you can find out more for information on these stories and links to the study, which is a really interesting one, no doubt about it. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning, live on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Don't forget to vote on our polls at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook or Accessible Media on Twitter. Until we hang out at 9 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.